Hello and welcome to the Identity Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Caleb. Uh, it's always a pleasure and just an honor to be here for the Identity Podcast. Once again, presented to you by Find Your ID NYC. Don't forget that you can actually check us, check us out on all streaming platforms. Uh, as always, at the Identity Podcast, don't forget to follow us on TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch at our own pages. And go ahead and like Find Your ID NYC on Facebook and follow them on Instagram by the same name. If you love the Identity Podcast, well, you can actually sponsor us and email us at press at findyouridnyc.com if you're interested in doing so. Don't forget that you can shop Identity Podcast merch now on Teespring. That link is in all of our social media bios, including our Instagram bio. It is such a, a wonderful experience to be able to host this show every single week. And I'm very excited to continue our Inviter environmentalism series uh, for the month of February into March. And who knows how long, how long ever lasts. <laughs> we will definitely um, have lots of fun and I'm already having so much fun. And so let's go ahead and introduce this week's guest. None other than Chelsea Webster. She's pretty awesome in my book. How are you, Chelsea? I'm good, thanks. How are you? <laughs> I am. I'm great. It's it's an honor to have you on the show, and I'm very excited to get to know your identity. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chelsea, tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do? Um, I know that you do love tea. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I am an avid tea drinker. Classic British. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I don't actually live in Britain anymore. I live in Vancouver, Canada. So, um, yeah, people are always like, you're a stereotypical Brit. And I'm like, well, I'm not because I don't take milk and two sugars. <laughs> <laughs> Is it just tea? Yeah, just straight just tea? black tea. All right. All right. <laughs> I, I, uh. I've never met someone who's, who just drinks straight black tea. Oh. Yeah. I've always, I feel like, I feel like, especially in America, I feel like it's very common for Americans to always add a little spice to something, you know, like coffee, you got to have cream and sugar and, <laughs> and with, you know, with tea and I mean, even soda, it's like, you can't just have a regular caffeinated soda you have to add in different flavors. So um, I guess I'm always taken aback by people that are like, yeah, I just drink it black. It's like, who are you? <laughs> it tastes so good though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I drink, I drink my coffee black for the most part, but if anything, I you gotta put a, gotta put a little sweetener in there just to spice it up in the morning to wake you up, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's, it's great to have you on and I'm, I'm very excited to, to learn more about you and, uh, so let's, you know, let's go ahead and get into it. But I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious about one of the big things that you do is kind of the organization, organizing, and, and you have a lot of campaign experience with in, environmentalism. So would, would you uh, like to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, so at the moment, I um, lead a Greenpeace local group in Vancouver. And part of what we do is um, facilitating the big campaigns that Greenpeace Canada are working on, but bringing them to the to the local community, and um, you know, exploring how we can raise awareness for those campaigns within our community. So, something um, that is big for us right now is is plastic waste, and 
uh, one of the first actions I did with this group was going into some of the bigger um, supermarkets and putting little um, signs around the store that said, I wish this was plastic free and uh, <laughs> and just uh, getting followed by the staff because they were like, these guys are up to something, but we don't know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and then handing a letter over at the end to the store manager and asking them to do something about the amount of plastic that, that um, kind of accumulates in, in big superstores. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the other things that we're working on involve uh, campaigns around fossil fuel fuels and where I live I am 13 kilometers away from a pipeline and a refinery and so those issues are really important to us as a local group but also Canada-wide and those impacts affect the rest of the globe because of the carbon that's in- emitted from those industries. Mm-hmm. That's, re- that's really fascinating. Um, kind of I guess my first question is for, for that. Um, how did you get into this? Um, uh, it was more just that I got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm, what I'm doing for myself, my individual action of um, eating plant-based and trying to be low waste didn't feel enough anymore. And and I recognized that in order for more action to happen, I felt like I needed to join a group. And so I just literally went on the internet and searched Vancouver Climate Campaign Group and Greenpeace Vancouver was the first one that came up. So I ended up sticking with them um, because they were really, you know, I joined the group and they were really welcoming and I enjoyed the actions they were doing and didn't feel the need to look anywhere else. But yeah, if anyone's interested in joining an environmental group, just look at the big organizations like Greenpeace, 350, Sunrise Movement, XR, and mm-hmm. just see if they have a local chapter. And if not, you can always create one. Mm-hmm. That's that's great. Yeah. I uh, when when was this? Um, I joined them about two years ago. Oh wow! And you you've really been able to to grow within within. The yeah, like a lot of my I have been involved in environmentalism for probably over a decade. Like when I was at college studying my A levels, I was part of a sustainability group. But everything I've done has always been about my own sort of life and what happens in my household until a few years ago and that's when things like started to ramp up for me Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's great thank you thank you for sharing that with us and and uh that's really fascinating yeah with with greenpeace yeah there are actually um several different uh chapters and charters throughout the united states i greenpeace is a very popular uh environmental environmentalist (laughs) organization and so when when i heard about you being a part of that i was very 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 uh, grateful and happy that someone from greenpeace was able to come on because it's it's really fascinating to me go ahead so there's a difference between greenpeace as an organization and the local group so greenpeace Mm -hmm. employs its own campaigners Whereas the local groups are volunteer run. So that's that's mm. something that I do on the side. So it is slightly different to being a part of Greenpeace because we get to we facilitate the Greenpeace campaigns, but we can also create our own depending on what we want to do. But it's all volunteer based. Mm-hmm. That's that's interesting. Thank you for clarifying. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> I go ahead. No, it, sorry. <laughs> uh, it's it's confusing to people who also join the group. We have a whole like training session to to mm. talk about the difference between the local group and how 
we're not Greenpeace, we have some autonomy. And that means that we get to create our own campaigns in our own community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, okay, on Monday, we're going to tell you uh, the differences between the two entities. <laughs> but um, that's, I think that's a really good thing, though. Um, to be able to not, well, obviously have that training and, and tell people, hey, you know, the difference is here. But also, as you mentioned, that autonomy, um, being able to also, you know, uh, organize and create your own campaigns and, and the, the things that your local group want to focus on. Because at the same time, you know, in different countries and different cities, we all have, we're all trying to make the earth a better place and save the earth, but in different places, there are different things that are more, more important to, to tackle there. And so Vancouver is going to be different compared to New York or and exactly. New York might be different than Tokyo or anything like that. And so I think it's, I think it's great. I did not know about that autonomy. And I, I think <laughs> that's, that's absolutely fascinating to know that there's that autonomy. I, I do know about some other organizations and then uh, I've uh, there's some local stuff that I've been able where I'm from where I've been able to kind of uh, assist with and everything I, I've been active in the environmental world for the past four years now or so and so I'm I'm just trying to continue to do more as myself as well um, you mentioned something about being plant-based and sustainable and everything and that's how I was I'm I'm a plant-based eater and I'm I try to be as sustainable as I can be I'm very big with you know with recycling and everything and and um there's definitely a level where we we have that that gist of our identities of our lives where we can we can be so green but it's also like am I doing enough Mm. and that's something about I'd say two years ago when I really started thinking about it. And then at the beginning of 2020, around the time when uh, COVID-19 hit, I was kind of um, placed with this thought of, am I doing enough in general with everything going on, especially with environmentalism? And so I had to kind of like take a step back and start to really analyze my own identity and kind of realize where I was taking myself and, and what I was doing to help because yeah, I can, we can, we can sit here and we can eat plant-based, which is great. And, and it is good for the environment. I love it. Um, but uh, it's also, it's also that level where not everyone's doing it. So us as individuals can only go so far. And if we as a society aren't all doing it, then where are we at? And um, I, I, I guess I'm kind of curious, what are, what are your thoughts about that? Kind of this, this sense of individualism versus like society as a whole and how can we together be, and even as individuals, be able to make, make the earth a better place? Mm, so I think there's like a really important conversation that happens between the idea of individual versus collective action. And so obviously it's really important to try and cut back on meat and dairy if you can and reduce your consumption if you can Um, but there's also things that have to happen as a collective society like we need governments and businesses to drive those um, those changes that happen on a bigger scale Um, when you look at who actually creates all the carbon that's emitted it's usually can be traced back to fossil fuels and so you know that's sort of something that we need to change and eating plant-based and 
being low waste isn't going to fix that, that mm-hmm. we need that system change to happen. And I think that's where that conversation, when that conversation happens, it, it brings those really important ideas forward of how do we change society and how do we make the bigger impacts that happen in society come forward and, and change. So, sorry, I've lost my chain of thought. <laughs> no, you're totally fine. I, that happens to me way too often. <laughs> um, but, but to kind of tack on to what you're saying, something that I'm getting from this, and I think we could maybe talk about a little bit too, and maybe this will help you uh, think about what you were saying, um, is we have, we kind of have, you know, we have bigger industries and we have the, you know, little person over here. And so it's, it's kind of this sense of how can, you know, we want one of the biggest things that we know of is a lot of the, the burning of fossil fuels and everything is occurring and happening because of the industries, because of um, these big tech industries out there, especially um, in North America. And so I'm kind of curious um, about, uh, you know, let's, let's talk, dive into that, I guess, a little bit of um, the sense of industry talk. Um, obviously, it's going to take a lot for society to convince the industries to not do what they're doing anymore and to, to switch over and everything. And, and uh, so do you think that that will ever necessarily be plausible? Or um, what, what are kind of your thoughts on that? I think when you when you look at what fossil fuel companies are doing right now, um, some of the bigger ones like BP and Shell, Chevron, Exxon are starting mm-hmm. to to very slightly move away from their reliance on, or not their reliance, but they're starting to reduce the amount of oil, gas, and coal that they're sort of um, investing in and starting to invest in renewable tech. But but what they're doing is not enough because the movement is so marginal that it's not it's not quite there yet. And and then what we see is those companies plugging it in a way that it makes it seems like it's bigger than it is. So that's actually greenwashing. Um, but those changes are happening because of movements like XR and the lobbying of Greenpeace because of the pressure that they're feeling to create those changes because we recognise that, that um, fossil fuels can't carry on. In, in the way that they currently are, we need to we need to decarbonize, and um, so so part of that is individual change. When people start changing their consumer habits, when people start buying things they don't need and, and only consuming what they they really really need, then we see that those industries have to shift and have to change the way they operate in order to to get what they really want, which is money. Um, so I think that those changes are happening because of the individuals when they come together as a collective. Mm-hmm. That's that was uh, really insightful and, and really, really, um, I think kind of what I was thinking about as well uh, in my own personal response to that question. Um, I think it's as, as anyone who is kind of in this uh sense of environmentalism and and definitely in that mind and state and and as an active environmentalist i think um we all know what needs to happen it's just making it happen but at the same time we we as individuals um can we can protest we can do our our civic duty our civic rights and, and we can 
um, do exactly what you're doing. You know, go to the the local market and, and put up signs and and plastic free and everything. And um, we we can do that. We can we can go and pick up um, waste on the coast and oceans, and we can um, we can we can protest outside of pipelines and everything. We can do that, but it doesn't mean that these higher tech companies are necessarily going to do that. And and one of the reasons why I wanted to touch on that just real lightly is because, as you mentioned, there is this. Um, change where some of these companies are starting to use somewhat renewable energy and sources, but it's still not enough, or it's not the right, not the right vein. And um, it it makes it makes me, you know, kind of wonder as to um, as to when when will people realize? It, will it be too late? And that's that's kind of the thing that uh, we talked about in our last episode for the Identity Podcast uh, with Tom Duncanson, envir- an environmental advocate uh, based out of Illinois in the United States. He um, kind of talked about this um, the sense of is it too late to be able to reverse things? Is it too late um, to be able to um, take a stand now? Because, you know, we have some people that are saying, oh, it's too late because we should we should have all taken a stand years ago, like, you know, a select few did uh, across the globe. And uh, now we're at a point where it's like, well, we may not be able to turn back time. And so uh, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think. Um, like you have to think about in the, you know, 20, 30 years ago, we didn't really have the internet. So people, I think the way information was disseminated isn't the same as it is now. So the collective awareness that is happening is happening because of the way we can communicate faster, um, almost instantly. So I think the people who were taking action 30 years ago were people who were highly educated, probably involved in, in scientific fields, who, who had a higher awareness of what was going on environmentally. Um, and fossil fuel industry knew back in the 1950s that the impacts of carbon on the atmosphere and the impacts that would have on people and covered it up. And so, um, like, we yeah we should have done something back then but it was covered up and people didn't know and there was no way to communicate the information because it was covered up whereas now we we do know we have we have the techno- technology to to learn and understand about this and people are coming together um i don't know if it's too late for us to turn back the clock on climate but we can certainly mitigate it and we can certainly reduce the impacts that climate has on people i i, I really believe that Mm-hmm. I actually, I believe that too. I, I completely agree with you there. Um, and unfortunately, I don't think we'll really know if it's too late until it's too late. Mm-hmm. We're in that moment. And and that sounds so cliche, but at the same time, it's it makes sense right now. Um, and uh, I do agree that as long as we continue to um, advocate, advocate and, and continue to go out there and, and, speak what needs to what needs to happen um we actually do have the ability and potential to to reduce what could be in the near future if if not what we're currently going through 
Um, I, I mean, with the current weather right now, I'm not sure how it is in Vancouver, but how it is in different parts of the United States. It has been um, in November and December and January, it was significant, significantly warmer than it had been in years. In fact, some of the record uh, warmest temperatures in what's supposed to be the winter months um what we're occurring we're happening and now we're in february and we're having you know sub-zero temperatures and it is it is uh freaking cold <laughs> to say the least i i went outside this morning and i i thought i was going to lose my nose you know that's how that's how cold it is um and uh so it is it just goes to show that this isn't necessarily this isn't what's supposed to be happening um, especially not regularly. And over the past few years, if you really look into it, you can definitely see um, a, a change into that. And so, um, you know, kind of continuing with with all this, um, what are some of the things that Greenpeace Vancouver has been working on? So obviously the pandemic has sort of slowed us down a lot because we can't, well, um, over certain months, we haven't been able to meet up as a group because of the local restrictions. Um, we're only able to meet with people in our household at the moment. But um, something that we did uh, in the last few weeks, we held a virtual art build, which was really nice. We we all went on Zoom and we had our cardboard and our paper and our, uh, sorry, our pens and our paints ready and we made signs. Um, to raise awareness in our local communities for the proximity to the pipeline expansion that's happening. So I mentioned earlier, it's 13 kilometers from my house, but there were people who were slightly closer, slightly farther away. And then we put those signs up in our own communities. So we didn't have to meet up and, and it was a really nice way to connect with each other and do some action whilst following safety guidelines. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, it I don't know, it just made me feel hope, hopeful because for the past like, uh, I think it's maybe four or five months we'd been a bit quiet because we were trying to figure out like okay what do we do like do we wait until the restrictions die down and we did that for a while and then the restrictions kept being like prolonged and then it was like okay now we need to do something and so yeah that was a really cool action and a way of getting around the COVID situation. Mm -hmm. That's great. And actually, that kind of leads into a question I, I told you that we could talk about a little bit is kind of how has COVID impacted the environment? We had we had a guest a couple of weeks ago on the show um, talk about he's actually based out of India. And uh, he discussed how with the pandemic and once it once it began, especially in India, and once they had all their restrictions, they actually had to go into an immediate countrywide lockdown um, for 28 days. And he said, all of, you know himself, all his um, friends and, and fellow uh, activists basically had to say, "Well, what are we supposed to do now?" And so for them, it was we take to social media. So they used Facebook and Twitter and, and so on and so forth. Used all these platforms to get their daily content out. And, and uh, a lot of times they would um, maybe they'd stand outside their home and they'd go by a tree or whatever they could and, and put that like environmental spin and be able to, to say, hey, we need to do this. And, and you can do your part, even if it's you know so simple just by doing things that um, are just around your block, around wherever you are living at, your, your residence. And um, it, it's kind of that small stuff. And he said that 
that kind of transformed his little town and his little city in India during that time. It was able to, um, he was able to make a difference a little bit just by posting on social media. Obviously not the difference he wanted to have, nor any of us expected to have, because this is something that we, none of us want to be going through. Um, but uh, as far as, especially in Vancouver, how, how, has COVID, how has COVID impacted the environment? Um, and how is it with not only with having to go and do kind of what you what you all did um, an online of, event of source and having having to um, resort to things that you never thought would ever have to be even mentioned? Um, so I think the environment here is the same as normal. Maybe the pollution from transit has or from vehicles has has reduced a little bit because people aren't coming into the city. But I think the biggest impact is the fact that construction on the pipeline has had to had to stop briefly and then it, it kind of started again. Um and then there was an outbreak of COVID at the camp. So it it so the Bonnie Henry, who is kind of like leading our COVID strategy, had, had to like have that closed down. And I think that's one of the the main things that's happening is it slowed that construction right down and is enabling <laughs> enabling communities to to rally and gather and you know the indigenous community are still protesting that pipeline um the burnaby community who are directly surrounding the pipeline expansion are, are doing actions nearly every day someone went and lived in a tree for a few months in the summer um and so i think having that pause on that construction has enabled more awareness to be gathered in our community. Um, but yeah, in terms of the environment itself, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's totally okay. I, I was just curious, especially about the Vancouver area. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I don't know as much about that area. So it's, it's great to, to um, have, and we've never actually had anyone on the show from Vancouver or, or living in Vancouver at the moment. So I, I'm, I'm very glad that we were able to have you on and be able to talk about that but um i i guess i'm kind of curious you mentioned you know with, with transit and everything do you know exactly what the rates of like gas emissions have been in the past few years or anything that's that's okay no. um, <laughs> the I, um do you know if it's if it's fairly high or not um i'm not sure how vancouver um, runs is it is it an all night all, all day long, all night long city, constantly on the I mean, we're, it, I lived in London. So to me, Vancouver's like a quaint little quiet city. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, there is still traffic. There's there's not often like standstill traffic jams, but there is traffic. Um, and and one of the things the city is, is contemplating doing is bringing in um, sort of like a, like, I don't know if you know, in London, there's a congestion charge for the centre of the city. So any cars coming in have to pay a charge. And that's sort of like a deterrent to reduce uh, oh, emissions yeah. from vehicles. So Vancouver is actually thinking about doing something similar, which would, you know, essentially be the same thing. It'd be a mm -hmm. cost on entering the city to try and reduce pollution. So I guess there's enough of it that the city is trying to do something about it. Um, but I know that Vancouver is very um, conscious about environmentalism when it comes to the city's actions like they have a initiative called the greenest city where they're trying to retrofit buildings and they're trying to bring in this um congestion charge and um little things like that really mm -hmm. 
That's really interesting. I, I did not know that. Um, I think that's great, though. And it also kind of we talked about this on the last episode, too, of the podcast, um, how there's definitely a different global response to everything with the environment compared to the United States. You know, you, you see the United States, we're usually a few steps behind. Uh, I'm sure you've noticed. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so it's it's really interesting to kind of um, hear from other people, out, especially outside the United States, and to hear um, how their in- environments, their cities, their countries are handling things. As as you mentioned, for London and with England, um, very, uh, they, well, was it just the other day, uh, I believe the prime minister just announced um, the, about the coal mine. Um, what were your, what are your thoughts about that? <laughs> I mean, the UK is part of the Paris Agreement. They have the Climate Change Act, which means that they have to limit um, net emissions by 2050 to like net zero. Um, and they have all these like climate initiatives and then they're like, oh, but we're going to build a new coal mine. And, and it's like, well, then, then you're not doing anything really because you're saying one thing, but your actions are like counteractive. And mm-hmm. it, and they are trying to, uh, the Cumbria, there's a council in Cumbria that's trying to stop the coal mine or at least debating whether to, to go forward with it. So um, it's kind of up in the air whether it is going to happen or not, but it, I don't approve of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad idea. <laughs> it's not yeah, a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's definitely what I've heard from a lot of people, especially in the in the United States as well. It's like, where where did this come from, and um, why why do you think that that should be a thing, especially with being a part of the um, the climate agreement and everything? Um, so I, I just wanted to kind of hear your thoughts about that because that that was I think just this past week, kind of breaking news, and I, I remember um, getting an update about that and and talking to some friends of mine and we were all just kind of taken aback by, by that, especially after England in recent years being um, from what I can tell fairly active in the in environmental. Um, I think there's a lot. Yeah. I think, I think there's a lot of people who are like, it's, it's the home place of extinction rebellion and, and, they're doing very well to raise awareness in the UK, mm-hmm. um, but the government is a right-wing government, and they are not that climate-friendly, despite some of the the policies and things that they're bringing in. Um, sorry, <laughs> um, no, I, think, I think it's important to to recognise that the UK is reducing its reliance on coal, and that actually a lot of that coal that would come out of the Cumbria coal mine would be exported to um, like the global south so mm-hmm. there's an element of environmental racism there of like it's not okay for us to burn it we're trying to reduce that but we are going to ship it off somewhere else and mm-hmm. and then we're no longer responsible for those emissions that's like not our problem but we're going to rake in the cash from it anyway mm-hmm. and yeah. yeah as you said you know taking it to the global south and the kind of environmental racism i i think uh, i i like that you that you mentioned that and um I know that's something that you are a big advocate for, um, is simply... Or against. (laughs) Or, or, yes, exactly, or against, sorry, or against, an advocate for... (laughs) Let me clarify, an advocate for... uh, Environmental equality. Yeah, exactly, yes. (laughs) Yes, yes, um, um, 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely, I'm, I'm glad we can laugh about that. <laughs> but uh, you know, let's 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 talk about that a little bit. This kind of um, being being an advocate for all, and and um, especially with the environmental rights, but also with uh, social civic rights. Um, how is how have you kind of um, entered that? So I think um, that part of it was really gradual for me and it's something that's come much later on as I've learned about environmentalism and the injustices that happen in the with um like unequal environmental sort of like disasters and, and treatment um but something that was there was something that made it really personal to me and that was when I was reading about environmental classism and I'm from a working class background I lived in like a low economic neighborhood when I was growing up and it was when I was reading about this this inequality in in like environmental stuff that I was I realized and it was it was amazing that I'd never made this connection but I realized that when I was growing up we had our house and literally at the end of the garden was a factory and I would go to my nan's every weekend and where my nan's house is there's that a row of houses the road and then a foundry and it was like all of a sudden I, I was like the proximity to pollution and to like industry that creates these injustices it was all of a sudden like I was there in it and I'd never made that connection before and it was like oh can I swear I don't know yeah yeah <laughs> like, you can yeah <laughs> like, oh shit like I never made that connection before and and like I am so close to this and I never even knew it and you know I remember um if we left our windows open a little bit too long, we'd get this like black, um, like dust on the window sills in inside the inside the the window, and mm -hmm. I'd like write my name in it and stuff because I didn't know. I just thought it was dust. But like now, I'm like that's uh, that's like um environment uh, particulate matter, and it, it's really bad for our health. And um, you know, I realized when I was thinking about this stuff that I grew up with asthma. My one of my granddads has emphysema, which is like a lung disease. My nan has COPD, another lung disease. My granddad had lung cancer, like a, my other granddad. And it's like, like how much of our environment impacts those illnesses and to what extent, and like to what extent are those factories and foundries that are still there impacting the local community that is still there. And like, I'm lucky enough and privileged enough that I was able to like move out of that community and you know, have have gained a lot of privilege since since I lived in that community. But that doesn't mean those things aren't still there and aren't still happening. And it, it just became like so it just became so personal and made me like so angry. And for a while it made me feel so helpless because I was like, how like I can't stop this. Like it's it's such a big issue. But I think I don't know, like there's a point where you have to be like, well I have to do something because like that community, like I, I lived through that, like that community is worrying about their next paycheck and like how they're going to pay their rent. And like, you know, right now during the pandemic, parents are like, oh, do I stay home and like lose my wage or do I and, and teach the kids or do I go to work? And, and I don't know, where do the kids go? Who teaches them because the schools are closed? Mm -hmm. um, and it's like right now it's just such a big issue that, I don't know. It just it just became very personal when I I made that connection. No, that's that's great, and th thank you for sharing. Um, as someone who also uh, has 
as uh, asthma is asthmatic and, and has a very long line of family members that um, also have had different um, like respiratory illnesses and such like that. It definitely makes you wonder, you know, with your environment, everything around, um, because, you know, where I grew up, it's like, okay, I didn't think it was that bad, but then thinking about it in over the past few years and thinking about it now, I look at it and I say, well, actually, no, this is probably why there's a lot of people similar to myself, my family, friends, and such like that, that have been impacted by that. And, and it's, uh, there are lots of interesting um, kind of research advocacy articles uh, discussing these types of things and how different plants, different coal mines, factories, and stuff like that can actually affect generations to come. And the craziest part is like, for some stories that we know, um, it we may just know the kind of the first full generation after the generation working at that plant maybe and the effects from it we don't even know what's going to happen to the second generation of of those people who are current who were working there their children and what their children will will have uh, in their system and what could affect them um there, there's been a lot of cases throughout the united states with asbestos and um how that has definitely um affected cancer it really really uh, caused cancer um there's a environmental waste plant down in or landfill down in um by atlanta georgia if i'm not mistaken i don't remember the exact town but it's, it's by there and it's actually um right next to a town that is mainly um mainly in, uh, inhabited by inhabited by um blacks and so the, I read this amazing article about a year ago that talked about how this community, this culture uh, close to Atlanta is being affected by this. And yet we, we don't realize it. It just goes right over our heads. It's these environmental injustices, as you mentioned, and, and I love that term. Um, and it, it, it's really, it's interesting because you're like, you know, what can I do? What, what, how exactly can I get out there? Because again, it's that sense, like I can put my voice out there, but your voice only goes so far. And, and I think, I, I think something that I've come to realize is that you still have to put your voice out there. And I think it's great to know that you've, you've done that. And, and from what I can tell very well at that as well. And so it's, it's great to know that you're continuing to put your voice out there because all it takes is if we put our voice out there, all it takes is to have one person be affected and be attracted and attached to what you're saying. And if they like what you're saying and they're like, you know what? I agree then they join in. And then that's two voices and then a third and a fourth and so on. And next thing you know, it we have a whole community of voices that are able to talk about what is really kind of going over our heads or simply the, uh, the fine print in like a contract that's just not being, not being delivered to us. We have, we have individuals all across the globe that know these things but they're not doing anything to stop it. Instead, they're creating more of an impact against it. And um, it definitely, it definitely shows the awareness that needs to, that needs to occur. Sorry, in the soapbox. Um, but <laughs> no, but, I like what you said about influencing people because I was, I was thinking about um, like my friends and how 
I've sort of influenced them. Like um, one of my friends, she has just made her whole, like she she's married, she's got two kids and she's just made them all go vegan. <laughs> and I And I feel like, all these years when I've been like eating plant-based and I've been like you should try this it's great and then she I've gone over to her house and she's like cut me dinner and she's she's like I made you a plant-based dinner I'm so proud of myself and I'm like yeah this tastes really good and she's like yeah it does taste good and now like she's gone from like her family eating meat probably like maybe nearly every day to like intermittently eating meat to now they just they just don't eat meat and dairy and I've mm. you know like I feel like yeah like me being like oh, I'm not going to eat meat in your house, so you have to cook for me. It's like, you know, help <laughs> shift along a bit. And it's really nice to see those changes with people and how you can influence them. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. It's those small things that um, can really influence someone a, a long way. And I, I feel the same way. I, you know, when I, once I went to a plant-based diet and my family personally, were always very, especially being in the United States, um, heavy meat eaters is kind of a stereotype that is usually correct. Um, and so, um, with, with my family, that's, that's what it was like our weekend meals were, you know, meat and potatoes and stuff like that. That's what, that's what I, that's what I grew up with. And then realizing that I didn't really care for meat as much as others did. And also realizing that I, I, didn't want to eat it anymore. And then realizing the effects that it had on the environment and, and um, with also being an, an avid and active um, animal rights activist, it definitely made me, you know, kind of rethink my decisions and everything. And so I went plant-based and next thing I know it's within about five to six months, half my family is basically eating plant-based. They still eat the occasional meat, but my mom just called me the other day and said, "I, you know, there's a chance that I might just go vegetarian at least." You know, <laughs> it's it's a change. It's it's a change, and and you know, I have I have lots of friends that have also uh, done such a thing, or or they have gone on on um, you know very very similar plant-based kind of diets where they are able to they mainly eat plant-based and and um it's kind of like the whole the whole concept meatless mondays i know a lot of people mm-hmm. put that out there like if we were all just to take off meat on mondays you know look at what it could could do to the uh the environment around us especially locally um and people start to realize that e- eating healthy is not only um great for the environment, but it's also just great for you as well. You know, I, I feel, I feel great. <laughs> I feel so healthy and I feel so good about myself. Like my, I feel like my, my personal hygiene is better. I just, I feel better about who I am. I feel more fit and active and I feel like I can run, uh, you know, I can go run a, a half marathon and I'm not even winded, you know, <laughs> that's not true. I'm definitely winded, but <laughs> Yeah, I can't. I can't do that. But um, I like to dream. Um, <laughs> but it's it's definitely it's it's good to to have that for ourselves. But it's also it's also great to know that we can influence people. And so I guess that kind of goes into the the last thing we can talk about real quick at the end is this journey of becoming yourself. You know, and we've talked about this lightly the past few minutes, but um, you you've had you've had uh, a really interesting journey 
uh, I know with um, different different things that you've had to tackle. So it, whatever you would like to discuss, you know, we can discuss that. And and so how how um, how has your identity um, changed over time, and how have it how has it kind of led you to who you are today? I think um, one of the pivotal things for me, um, so like a little background, I I struggled with mental health since I was like 12 years old, like mm-hmm. always struggled with anxiety and depression. And for me, something pivotal was being able to um, go to therapy and like having the money to to spend on, on therapy. Um, and also alongside that, it sounds weird, but this pandemic, like being able to just rest in ways that I don't think I've been able to before like um you know if if I if I wake up and I'm I'm feeling like you know I don't want to see people today I don't want to have to pretend to be okay and the the first thing that the only thing that I can do is put my hair in a bun and open my laptop and respond to emails I can do that because I don't have to turn my camera on for a zoom meeting I don't have to get ready to go to the office um and so I think I think those two things combined have enabled me to to really look at myself and be like who am I what do I want and like how how do I achieve those things and actually um you know one of the things that I did last last year at the start of 2020 was um I'm not big on new year's resolutions but for that year I was like okay this year I all I want I just want to be as happy as I can be and so I made a list of the things that made me happy and I was like right my resolution is to just do more of those things Um, And I did the same this year. And so I journal about like what it is that I'm enjoying and like the achievements that I feel I've got. And I feel like through doing that, I'm able to sort of like discover myself and and do more of the things that I love. So in in a way that that relates back to environmentalism, it's like, okay, I might not be able to go out and, and organize a protest, but I can go on Zoom and organize an art build and it's really lovely to have communication with people but it's also great for our mental health because we have that community feel without too much pressure of having to go onto the streets and spend all this time and energy to do stuff that we might actually not be feeling um which sounds weird but I I get that it sounds weird but it's it's nice to have that rest and I think I heard a quote by um she's a British comedian called Sindhu V and she said by not going out we're able to go in and it was just like wow yeah like like so much of this time spent in in lockdown we've just sort of like been looking at ourselves and like trying to think like is what we were doing before the pandemic what we want to be doing after the pandemic and I think for so many people the answer is no So I had to write that down. I love that so much. <laughs> My little. <laughs> that's that's great, actually. I, I really love that. By by not going out, we're able to go in. And um, I, I don't it think was, that sounds weird. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, it was just like, when she said that, it just like hit me. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> I remember that's, that. That's, that's, 
really good. Like I'm the type of person, uh, it, it, all of our viewers and listeners know that as soon as I hear something really good, I have a little card that I write everything down. Cause like I say, I have to, <laughs> I have to remember this. Um, but that is, that's really good actually. And I think it, what, how it ties into what you said is, is great. Honestly. Um, I, I don't think it sounds weird at all. What you were mentioning fact i think in some sort of way we can all relate to that obviously in our own little differences and perspectives and everything but we can all relate to it for the most part and i think that's what's important i mean this is this is the first time in a very long time or quite possibly ever in the history of humanity where we are all connected with something we've all been affected and impacted in some sort of way whether it be big or small we we have been and um, this is the first time that we can all say that as a as a for a global perspective as a society we have been affected by this and we are actually all feeling and understanding each other's um, sympathies pain everything that we're going through and so when it comes to this i think your your mentality was great you know, and I, I kind of, I did a similar thing as well. I realized um, that I had to do certain things for myself. One of those things were was just to continue to do the things that I'd been wanting to do for a long time, you know, especially being at home for a while. It was, um, how can I do the things that I wanted to do, but also allow my voice to continue to get out there? So I, I've been, I've been podcasting for the past, you know, two or three years now, but in, in radio stuff as well, but I really put my effort into podcasting even more. I, I, I'm also a writer. So I, I put myself more into my, uh, my journalistic qualities more than ever. I, <laughs> my, uh, I, I tried to, you know, revamp my blog and I, I tried to, um, write things that not only were important to me, but also important to others and uh, just kind of put my voice out there because I wrote a lot of things that were very reflective on how I was feeling at the time. And I'd, I'd, I'd post it on things and I'd have a lot of people get back to me and they'd, they'd say, you know, this actually really helped me. And, and I feel this and, you know, my own ways and such like that. And when writing it, I didn't even necessarily think like, oh, other people will feel this way. And it wasn't even necessarily the thought of like, oh, let me, let me see if other people feel this way. It was more like, how can I convey to people, um, you know, this is how we, we are all feeling in our own ways and, and it is okay to feel this way. That, that was the biggest thing for me. Um, but I, I think it's absolutely great what you're doing. And uh, the journal, I actually have a little journal myself that I, I don't necessarily write about my days, but uh, I like to call myself an amateur poet. Um, <laughs> and, so, and so what I do is a lot of times I take my day and write a poem about it, um, which is something that I decided to kind of start to do in 2021 as well. Kind of like a New Year's resolution was, you know, take my day and write a poem about it. Obviously not every day do I do that, but I, I do it. Sometimes I put like a, a few days together. I clump a few days together and say, all right, Monday through Wednesday was awful. <laughs> but, you know, here, here's what my feelings were about it. or, or they, they were great because of, you know, reasons X, Y, Z. And I found that those, uh, real that really did, um, has really allowed me to become a better writer, but it's also allowed me to kind of get more in tune with um, myself and kind of this 
this sense of uh, peace and then fully becoming myself, identifying myself to the fullest. And so I think it's great um, that you've been able to, you know, have this journey and be able to, you know, discover yourself who you are today. And I hope and I wish you the best of luck on being able to continue to discover your identity because identity is this constant ebb and flow um, term that, it, that in, an entity that is constantly changing no, no matter what. You know, today we can have one concept of identity, but by tomorrow I met someone that changed my entire uh, viewpoint on identity and I'll, I'll think something similar to them maybe. Um, but it, it really is fascinating. Um, but I, I really appreciate you for coming on, Chelsea. It's, it's been an absolute honor to get to discover your identity, um, as, as we like to say on the show. And it's, it's great to know that there are people all across the globe um, taking this, you know, environmental activism and awareness seriously. So thank you for that. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> it's, it's been it's been a joy, and I uh, sorry you've had to hear several of my long rants. Um, <laughs> I love to talk, um, so <laughs> thank you for allowing me to talk. <laughs> um, You'd be a podcaster if you didn't. <laughs> You know, you're you're completely right there. <laughs> I, I would not be. I guess I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have my own podcast if I didn't. Right. So it's. Uh, thank thank you again for coming on, and it it, it really is. Uh, it's been great to know you, and uh, we really appreciate having you on. Yeah, no worries. Thank you. <laughs> well, you have been listening and watching the Identity Podcast. It has been an absolute joy to have Chelsea Webster on for environmental awareness. Once again, episode 28 for the Identity Podcast. This has been presented and brought to you by Find Your ID NYC. You can go ahead and like us on Facebook at Find Your ID NYC and follow us on Instagram by the same name. Don't forget to check out the Identity Podcast on all kinds of different platforms, uh, such as streaming platforms. You can check us out on Spotify, Apple, everyone out there. Also follow us on TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. We're all on there. Don't forget to stay tuned for our Patreon and Bandcamp pages. And if you love the Identity Podcast and want to sponsor us, well, you can. You can actually email us at pressatfindyouridnyc.com. Um, don't forget to listen to the Identity Podcast every Tuesday on Brick Media and shop the Identity Podcast merch on Teespring. The link is on all of our bios, including our Instagram bio. Next week is going to be some exciting stuff as we round out the end of February and continue with environmentalism and feature the Garbage Gang of California on the show. Very excited to have them on the show. Can't wait to hear everything that they've been doing, especially with their initiatives of picking up trash, especially on the coast. Really fascinating stuff. So I'm excited to have them on. And as always, don't forget to check out our partner, Reverend Ivy Rivera, psychic, really amazing stuff, what she's doing out there. Don't forget to check out all of her social media pages at Ask Ivy and to check out her new church that she created, Roots Revival Interfaith, every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern. They live stream on YouTube, TikTok, and any other streaming, plat any other streaming platform and any other social media platform out there as well. You've been listening to the Identity Podcast. It's an absolute joy, as always, to be able to do this show. I'm Caleb Wonder, co-host, and we appreciate you all. Don't forget to tune in every single week, every Wednesday at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks. <laughs>